morning, good afternoon, or good evening, listeners, and welcome to the latest installment of MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. I'm Brian Shaw, corporate partner in MBM's London office, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Caroline Urban. Hi, Caroline. Hello, everyone. Hi, Brian. Well, as a, as a reminder, for those tuning in that haven't tuned in for a little while, on each episode, we will catch up with former clients whom we've helped buy and sell businesses and other specialists in the M&A field who can share their insights and provide our listeners with hints and tips on the M&A process. The idea is that it's a short 15 to 20 minute podcast that's fun and informative that you can listen to on the go or while you're sipping your morning tea or munching on your afternoon snack. Speaking of which, Caroline, what is your snack of the day? Oh, I managed to get my hands on these um, Austrian, traditional Austrian wafer snacks. They're sort of wafer and they have hazelnut cream in the middle. They're delicious. Mm, very nice. Well, I'm snacking on an Aussie treat today on some Arnott's Bickies, as we call them, some Scotch fingers that I'll be dipping into my coffee. Very good. Well, um, enough about the snacks. Let's get on with the show. We are joined today by Charlie Hodges, Managing Director at Augusta & Co., a specialist financial advisory firm in the renewable energy sector. Charlie has been with Augusta since 2011 and has advised buyers and sellers of businesses in a range of different markets and technologies, including onshore and offshore wind, flexible generation and storage assets, as well as service businesses in the value chain. Charlie, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, and we are so excited to explore your M&A experience. Welcome. Hi, guys. Thank you very much. It's great, Charlie. Now, before we begin, as, as, as you can probably tell, our tradition is we, we all need to have a snack. So, so what is your snack of the day? Uh, I've, I've managed to find in the uh, office kitchen drawer a, a sweet little chocolate egg that's very well wrapped up, made by Kinder. Um, then I'm going to attack next time one of you guys talks for any prolonged period of time. <laughs> Brilliant. And a German chocolate. I'm so impressed. Right. Let's kick off with a bit of context and background for our listeners. Charlie, you've been with Augusta almost since the beginning, and it has evolved into, I would say, the go-to corporate advisor for the renewable energy market. Tell us a bit about the specialism and what it's like to enter a new market and make yourself known. Thank you for that generous introduction. We've been trading for about 17, 18 years. And yes, I've been here for about uh, 10 of them. You know, in the last 15 or so years, renewables has sort of moved from being quite a niche thing you'd read about on page 10 of the papers to something that actually you're, you're reading about regularly. As a part of the energy sector, I think this year, the renewable energy space is the only part of the global energy sector that's likely to grow. If you believe what nearly all the scientists are saying it's certainly one part of a solution decarbonization that is for helping manage climate change and the impact greenhouse emissions are having on our climates we as a small specialist advisory company have grown really out of the need investors have um, to get good advice when it comes to capitalizing and investing in renewable energy markets, but of course also exiting and disposing of those investments. And and can you, uh, you touched upon it there upon the exit. So in your role as an M&A advisor, you know, when is the optimal time for you to become involved? Certainly my own personal experience has been getting to know individuals within companies 
many, many years really ahead of those companies and individuals having an urgent pressing need for financial advice. We've tried to understand their businesses, their direction to travel, their capital needs, making introductions, sending them smart ideas, trying to get inside their heads and sort of in some ways preempt where they may be in a few years' time and what advice they may need. And you can really be getting to know people for many years without any real paid work um, before you finally get that call saying that we'd like to sell this by that. We have a fundamental interest in our clients' um, day-to-day activities and, you know, the wider space and, you know, what we're trying to do more broadly in renewables. Do you find that people say, oh, I don't need a corporate finance advisor at the moment and they're a bit like, I'm not thinking about exit and they don't see the long-term view that, that you might see and you get a bit of resistance at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I think um, even the people that aren't incentivized or don't need to sell are always interested to understand where the market is and someone like us we have an extraordinarily privileged view of where the money is what are the underlying assumptions you know what are the terms and how that's changed over time i think it talks more to this idea that you're finding ways to stay relevant and say smart things that allows you to pick up the phone and maintain a dialogue with your potential client that's often how we learn about their own business or what they're seeing, where they're coming and other processes. So it is very much a two-way flow of information. Where do you find these clients? Are these warm introductions or how do they, how do they find you or do you find them? We've done very well over the years, going to conferences, following up with people. We've probably placed about two or three gigawatts of corporate PPA in the last four or five years with big energy users. And that was a new stakeholder for us in energy. We, we, we knew buyers, we knew sellers, but we didn't know long-term users of energy that could help us put deals together. And honestly, some of those contacts in some big industrials and big tech companies that were in charge of energy procurement, we found on LinkedIn and it took, you know, 10 LinkedIn messages and then a quick call and then a meeting somewhere before we finally got through to the right person and could help them join the dots and fold them into our deal. So we are used to getting our hands dirty and finding you know, innovative and less trodden ways to get in front of the right people. That's really interesting. And actually, that leads quite nicely into, into my next question, which is the renewable energy world has itself been through so many changes and challenges. I mean, government subsidies in lots of different countries uh, going up, going down, environmental matters, some big energy companies who maybe weren't even welcome in the renewable energy space to right at the beginning. What's been your experience over the years in terms of the type of transactions that have been done? I can imagine from the beginning, so many were reliant on government subsidies. And when they disappeared, what did people start to do then? The same capital 10 years ago that was investing in a in a, in a wind farm that had a government subsidy is now looking to invest in a wind farm with a 10-year you know, corporate PPA or utility hedge that provide a similar level of comfort. So, you know, we've seen sort of contracting move away from the state towards the market, I think in all markets, which I think is a welcome development because it reflects the fact these technologies are so much more advanced, productive um, and economical without the same level of high support. I think you're also seeing year on year, you know, increases of investment into global renewables. And a lot of the investors that started off being, you know, North America only, Europe only, and now, you know, 
global investors in infrastructure. And of course, new players um, are absolutely entering the fray. You are seeing big energy users taking positions in generation. Of course, you're seeing oil and gas, as you noted, now start to look to renewable energy to provide a long-term growth plan. So, you know, lots of change. I think, broadly speaking, the numbers everywhere are getting bigger. That's a good thing. Do you think at some point in the future we're all going to be whizzing around in electric cars and we'll all have solar panels on our roofs and, you know, getting energy, hydro energy? Do you think it's the end of oil and gas? Is it the end of the dirty world that we now live in? If you follow the sort of arc of politics and what it's trying to achieve, yes, things that are, you know, noisy, smelly, require heavy levels of extraction, are environmentally polluting, are generally seen as less desirable. And I think if you zoom forward far enough, electrification of transport, you know, shipping, finding alternatives to burning gas are clearly high up the agenda. I think these will take decades and decades to come through. You take shipping, I mean, you can't get batteries on ships today in any meaningful scale. Gas is going to have to replace bunker for at least 10, 20, 30 years until, you know, hydrogen cheap enough to stick on ships. So it's not as clean as you're making it out to be. But yes, I think electric vehicles will happen faster, driven by better range, but also bands and emission standards. I think that combination is going to do a lot. And you can be sure that there's going to be a lot more renewable energy in our future um, because that's that's what we need as this old carbon emitting thermal capacity comes off. It would need to be replaced by new cheap energy, which is most markets currently new build wind and solar, but it's going to need to be backed up by clever storage. And um, who knows, you know, hydrogen and nuclear, I think the jury's out on. But um, if we invest enough money, both technologies could be extremely promising. So just back on M&A, and obviously this year has had its challenges, the, the C word, but, but nevertheless, you know, there's always you know, opportunities out there. So in, in your sector, in the renewables, have there been any subsectors this year, COVID-related or not, that you see that, that maybe there's some good opportunities for, for buying or selling in, in the market? Well, you know, what I would say is that COVID has driven a, not just COVID, I would also add the oil price shock, but has really driven a revaluation of hydrocarbon heavy assets and the cost of capital of businesses operating in the oil and gas supply chain has increased. And there is without doubt a, a transfer of capital, you know, frankly, out of some of those businesses into, you know, what they call decarbonization businesses, which is quite a nebulous term. Um, I guess it can really mean anything. They are looking for growth, and increasingly that is coming from new emerging markets uh, like electric vehicles and uh, and low-carbon energy. So I think one of the big themes of this year is that reallocation within the energy sector. And uh, I see you know, many of the old oil and gas businesses continuing to access quite expensive capital from capital markets. I mean, someone shared a statistic the other day about ExxonMobil being worth $60 billion and um, having spent somewhere close like to $300 billion in the last decade to be only worth $60 billion today. So it's quite dramatic how value has moved out of some of those companies and how their own pipelines and development assets have hemorrhaged value um, in a relatively short period of time 
just due to movement in the oil price. I mean, I think, you know, it's happened very quickly um, and it's not necessarily here to stay forever, but it's really a big point worth picking up on. We are in a, you know, low inflation, low interest rate environment and renewables really need debt capital in particular to stay cheap because renewables is intrinsically a relatively low return. It's not always low risk, but low return, uh, long dated investment infrastructure class. And cheap capital was one of the things that allows this sector to sort of operate. So, you know, we did see a bit of a wobble, I'd say in the banking community in you know, March, April, May, but I, I think it's fair to say now pricing has sort of returned to pre-COVID levels terms of the money out there for renewables and low carbon energy, I think there's just more and more of it based on the calls we're making to existing investors and new investors. Debt capital is likely to stay cheap. And frankly, I think a lot of governments are going to be looking to safeguard these, uh, this industry and related industries coming out of this because it's a source of jobs, it's a future source of tax, and it's desirable. Uh, a lot of people have actually enjoyed, you know, working and living on quieter roads with less you know car pollution in the last six months mm. as much as that's a temporary anecdote i think it's allowed people to think about actually you know maybe maybe this change can happen faster than we all led to believe do you think and do you think all the big dirty companies are going to or maybe they've already invested in renewable energy but if they haven't do you think all of them are going to enter the market to leverage their interests or to broaden their portfolio you will get sector specialists right now that are bottom feeding in oil and gas and, you know, looking to acquire old cold stations because they're going to need to be run longer than anyone admits uh, because we just don't have the replacement capacity there. So it is still possible to make a, a healthy double digit return in our Vogue asset classes. But I think if you're thinking very, very long term, um, there is a risk those assets become stranded. And without doubt right now, everything that's happening to decarbonize storage, heat, and uh, electricity is really where there's a lot of growth, there's a lot of innovation, and there's a lot of you know goodwill from governments and other stakeholders to try and see new technologies come through. You know what you're going to see in the same way we saw in the financial crisis is a flight to sort of quality. Uh, you're going to see that that dividend yield story prized, especially where it's deemed to be sustainable and COVID resilient. And, um, you know, frankly, that's what renewable energy offers. And I think you will see uh, a lot of financial investors with renewables in their portfolio grateful for it. Definitely. Um, so back to M&A, and this is a typical question we like to ask, um, particularly the advisors. If I'm an entrepreneur looking to sell my business in the next 12 months, what would your advice be? And how, how can I start to prepare for that now? I think, you know, as ever... Preparation is key, and we spend a long time helping our clients prepare for processes. And that's not just about having data rooms and sort of, you know, dated, executed final documents in it. It's really about knowing what the market's going to want to see when you open the lid on this business, how you want to position your strengths, your capabilities, and having information to back it up. And really, frankly, being prepared to run a process, something warmed up different pools of capital that are going to look at you in different ways and uh, ensure that that competitive tension is, is, is really there from the start, but can also be sustained. So if I think if I could put down to one thing, I, I really think it's, um, it's preparation. Everything else is, is secondary to that. 
Good advice. Just just going once a deal has been uh, agreed in principle, when you get down into the into the weeds, you know, what, what is in a typical M&A deal? What's the what, what's one or two of the, the more common provisions that are negotiated in the renewable energy space? With, with owners looking for a clean exit, we often see WNI policies used to allow cash to go back to shareholders and not sit in escrow for whatever time period the SBA says, you know, a buyer can make a claim. So there's a sort of transfer of risk away from the seller to the insurance market. That's always or very often a part of the deals we do, especially for funds that really value that clean break. And frankly, you know, insurance markets are hot and we see buyers that are used to taking out these policies often going further with an underwriter than what we might be able to offer as a, as a seller. Coming back to the structured exit, I think where you've got someone selling a chunk of a business now and another chunk later, it's making sure that what you've got post-closed is, is, is really a partnership. You've got two shareholders sitting alongside each other that are both aligned on seeing the business grow. And I think there's a huge amount of getting the culture right and getting some of the nuts and bolts of that partnership right way before you're even talking transaction docs that actually is a really sort of undervalued skill in banking. And I think a lot of what we do at Augusta are these sorts of minority deals or sub 100%, you know, bringing the institutions into a uh, into a cap table. And, and it's that sort of cultural piece and allowing time in your process to really put the decision makers, the seller, you know, in touch with the decision makers and the buyer and say, look, over the next five years, here are the things we want to do. It's, it's a part of our work that we take very seriously. When you're selling a hundred percent position, something can sort of be overlooked and understandably. It's interesting to hear how you have have some projects that go on for several years, and that making sure the the culture works is really important. In these longer term deals, are you quite heavily involved in the sort of post completion integration side? Usually not. Uh, we will um, pick up the discussions if payments are due, if there are true-ups or other events sort of contemplated in the transaction documents. But no, when I think it comes to the integration issues, we very much leave that to the, the parties post-close. Charlie, thank you so, so much for being on the show with us. Yes, thank you, Charlie. It was, it was really interesting. We're now on to what we call the rapid-fire round. So Ooh. you'll have 60 seconds. Oh, sorry, I'm looking at my chocolate egg. Okay. I'm thinking it's now not an appropriate time to eat it. <laughs> well, if you're quick, you, you, you'll have 60 seconds. No, don't answer, worry. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> to answer as many questions as you can in that time. Just say the first thing that pops into your, into your mind. So, Charlie, in sure. one, one word or phrase only. On your mark, get set. What was your first job? Research. Your favorite holiday destination? Greece. If you were having a dinner party and could invite three guests, alive, dead, or fictional, who would you invite and why? Uh, I'd invite a really niche uh, fisherman called Chris Yates because he was extremely well-read uh, and a uh, very, very great storyteller. Um, so um, without doubt, I think he'd, uh, he'd be one of them. Um, I think, you know, Chris Tucker, just because he's a really funny comedian and actor. Um, and uh, I love his uh, movies. And yeah, probably Daniel Day-Lewis as well, just because I think he'd hate the other two. Uh, and it could make for quite a good uh, fly-on-the-wall situation. <laughs> um, that leads nicely to the next question, which is, what is your favorite movie? 
my favorite movie movie is um, probably Apocalypse Now. Uh, I, I saw it way too young. I think it left uh, 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 some lasting impression on me. Um, but uh, yeah, it's probably Apocalypse Now. Finally, if you could travel back in time to meet your 10-year-old self, what advice would you give him? I think the advice I give myself is to not be too hung up on, uh, on, the, on the pressures of the schooling system and take things at your own pace and don't worry too much about how you do versus your peers and all that stuff around exams. I would have probably told myself to chill out. Good, Good advice. advice. Charlie, thank you so much for your time and participating in MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. Absolute pleasure, guys. That's it for today. Thank you for joining us in our informative conversation with Charlie Hodges, Managing Director at Renewable Energy Specialist Financial Advisors, Augusta & Co. Join us next time when Caroline and I will be joined by another special guest and we will chat and snack all things M&A. Goodbye. Goodbye.